Good evening and welcome to the Lotus Flower Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Pamela Robinson. The Lotus Flower Podcast aim is to educate, empower, and equip our listening audience while sharing spiritually relevant, culturally uplifting, educational topics. The symbolic meaning of the lotus flower is that it grows in deep mud far away from the sun. But sooner or later, the lotus reaches the light, becoming the most beautiful flower ever. Its characteristics are a perfect analogy for the human condition. Even when its roots are in the dirtiest waters, the lotus flower produces the most beautiful flower. The very delicate flowers are likened to that of the lives of our podcast guests, many of whom lives symbolizes the strength like the lotus flower rising up through the muddy waters to become beautiful, untouched flowers. Our guest today is none other than my first cousin. Her name is Annette Marie Heyman Brooks. Cousin Annette was born on May 20th, 1957 to Reverend John and Mamie Heyman of Penny Farms, Florida. She is the second oldest of nine children. They grew up in Penny Farms, Florida, where she lived with her family until graduating from nursing school in 1979, where she received her RN degree from Florida State College in Jacksonville. She met her husband, Reginald Brooks, in 1980 at a small hospital in Jacksonville, Florida. He was a pharmacist and she was a nurse on the floor. After dating for six months, they were married on March 9, 1980. It was love at first sight. God blessed them with three beautiful children, Reginald the second, Jonathan and Kimberly. Reginald is married and has three beautiful daughters. Her soulmate and her best friend passed away with a brain aneurysm on February 16th of 2000. Annette is currently retired after 40 years of nursing and living in the community of Penny Farms, Florida with her family and friends. She enjoys spending time with her church family and with her family. She serves at her church as the mission president and the church clerk. She also enjoys taking trips with her family and spending quality times with her grandchildren. But most importantly, she loves 
being retired. I am super excited and honored to have my first cousin, Annette Marie Heyman Brooks, as our special guest today. I would like for you to know that we invite you to listen to the Lotus Flower podcast. We invite you not only to listen to the podcast, but we invite you to subscribe to the podcast. We invite you to like, we invite you to share, and we invite you to make sure that when you share this podcast with your family, friends, and loved ones, Make sure you let them know that Dr. Pamela Robinson has a goal to reach 700 subscribers by the end of December. Yes, that is 700 subscribers to the Lotus Flower Podcast. We're almost there. We've got roughly 370 subscribers at this time and I think that we could do it but once again we need your help we need you to share this lotus flower podcast with your family friends and loved ones and with your social media network can you do that I'm counting on you once again I have my cousin Annette with us and she is going to start us off with a conversation tonight about when the water is in your boat. When the water is in your boat, what do you do at that time? That means that when life deals you a difficult hand and you find yourself drowning in those difficulties. What do you do at that time? Well, my cousin Annette and I are gonna have a discussion as to what do you do at that time? Cousin Annette? Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. Hi, how are you doing, Pamela? We're well, thank you for joining us tonight. All right. And we're going to have a great discussion here tonight. Yes, we are. Yeah. All right. I can see you, but you can't see me, right? That's right. So our audience is super excited to hear your wisdom about the water in the boat analogy. And it's one that is near and dear to my cousin's heart. And after you hear the analogy of water in the boat, I'm sure that you'll be able to identify with parts of what she's talking about. And I'm certain that you'll be impacted by what is shared tonight. So cousin Annette, tell me, what do you mean when you say water in the boat and how do we deal with that situation? Okay, well, first of all, I would like to say thank you for allow me to be a part of the podcast and to tell a part of my story as for as uh, female married children 
the whole nine yards, but also as a Christian woman. Yes. Um, so when I, when we were talking about a subject and this one kept, it wouldn't go away. I thought about a lot of different things and then I came right back to this one because I believe sometimes we get overwhelmed with life because things happen in our life unexpectedly and we sometimes waver in our faith because of it. So when I say, what do you do when you're sailing on the sea, having a good time, life is going okay, you know, the family is doing fine, work is going fine, all the things that you need to, to uh, sustain your health, everything is going okay. Then you get a phone call or you wake up one morning and now that smooth sailing boat has now started to take on water. Or what it is, what if it's just flipped all the way over mm -hmm. and water is everywhere mm -hmm. but sometimes the boat just start taking on water slowly but then we also can get situations in our lives when it capsized mm -hmm. and then life changes at a moment at an instant mm -hmm. because of that so what i wanted to talk about some tonight was how do we handle that what do we do because what's important is um, what you do while things are happening is just as important as what you do after the event is passed. Mm -hmm. Because guess what? What people are going to remember about you is, okay. well, she did, you know, she did, she cried and, and whined and the whole time everything was going on. All we heard was complaints, complaints, complaints. And then sometimes people will say, well, you know, she managed, but what about if people can tell a story about you portraying as a Christian would, as if Christ, as you had total faith in Christ and that you believe that he will take you through that situation and believe when the Bible says, he tell us when I will never leave you nor forsake you. And don't be worried. Don't give up. Just keep going. I got you. My grace is sufficient enough to take you through this. Mm -hmm. That's what we should be portraying. But because we are humans, because we get weak and we, when things happen sometimes, and it does take us by surprise, we're not ready for that. But apparently God is ready for us. Jesus is, is he's ready to, for you to be one of his servants, to take the story farther, to be a testimony and a testament to those that are around you. So what he's doing is molding. So now you've been molded and you've been going to church, you've been doing this, you've been doing that. Now it's time for a test. Now the water is in the boat. What are you going to do? And so what what are what should a person do when they find themselves in that predicament? How should they respond? Well, the, the response should be is that one of a remembrance that God is our refuge. He's not gonna leave you out there. He may give you something big to do, 
but he's going to be with you all the way through the whole situation, uh, or through the whole time that things are happening for you. Because in the book of Psalms, he tells us that God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. And so you shouldn't have to be fearful. You shouldn't, um, even if the mountains are moved, even if the, the sea gives start acting crazy, even though there's water uh, through the waters, therefore roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake and the swells thereof. He's not going anywhere. Now, does it feel like that, that he's, he's still there? Sometimes no, sometimes no. Does that mean he's left you? Because you said, I feels like the Lord have, you know, I just can't take this. I can't do it. I feel like the Lord has left me. Is, is he, does, did he leave you? No, he did not. And guess what? He places people around you that's going to hold you up in a time of trouble. In times when you feel like you can't take another step, that you can't do not one more thing. He knows you can. He knows, and he has you. He has your back. He has all sides of you. He has put an armor and a shield of protection around you so that you can make it through that situation. You know, okay. and I'm here to say that happens. It does happen. And we can come out victorious on the other end as a living testimony to the promises of God. To no. As a living testimony that he will take care of you and that he will see you through. Now, can, can you tell our podcast audience um, of a time in your life that you had to somehow figure out how to get that water out of the boat okay. in your own personal life. Yes, I, I'll tell you uh, why I know that the reason I know that with the capsized boat or with water in the boat that in order to see you through because it happened to me. Um, my, my oldest son, who is now almost 40, he was 15 at the time, and my youngest was 10. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're getting prepared for vacation, and now I, um, you know, I get home, and his uh, intracranial pressures are building up because he's dizzy, have all these side effects of, he has all the symptoms of uh, increased cranial pressure and all. Well, as it turns out, we get to the hospital, to the emergency room. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm cousin, cousin Annette. Who, who? You, you didn't say who. who oh, I, I thought I said my husband. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry, I didn't know if they, <laughs> I, I didn't catch that. But okay. yes. It's, it's my, my husband, Reginald Brooks. That's who I'm talking about. My At that time, um, he, we had been married about 15 years at that point. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah, so... We got to the emergency room and he got checked into the, uh, the emergency room and he was actually at the hospital where he worked mm -hmm. as a pharmacist at this time. I was working at a different hospital, but he worked at the hospital that he was a patient at. Mm -hmm. So they got him in the hospital, in the emergency room, and they had to transfer him right to ICU. The doctor, the admitting physician um, came out and told me, he said, Ms. Brooks, um, he didn't say, I'm sorry, your husband is gone. He said, I'm sorry, but your husband is in deep trouble. And he may not make it in the, for the next 24 hours. Uh, he may not be here. Oh, wow. And I, 
And at that moment, how, yeah. at that moment, how, how were you feeling and how did you respond to that? Well, oh, something I, like that. Yeah, I, I looked at the doctor and I said, this, I said, what did you just say? I said, this, this cannot be happening. And I said that because my husband was never sick. Uh-huh. He was a person that had never been in the hospital except for to have an appendectomy when he was in college. Uh-huh. I think he was finishing up his pharmacy or his biology degree, whichever one he was. And he had the emergency appendectomy. But other than that, other than working in the hospital, he'd never been a sick individual. Uh-huh. So you can understand my, you know, I'm like living a nightmare. I needed somebody to throw some water in my face, fresh water, and tell me to wake up mm-hmm. because he was never ill. Mm-hmm. So for that, for them to tell me that, it it really scared me. Yeah, I I was I was terrified. Mm-hmm. I'm a registered nurse myself, mm-hmm. so when he said that, I knew what was happening immediately as medically, mm-hmm. but. I could not accept it as a human being. I could not accept the man that I had just left that morning. Mm-hmm. When I went to work, he went to work, picked up the kids and all. And now somebody telling me that he is not going to make it. So I immediately just, I think I froze for a second or two. Mm-hmm. Because when they when we got there, they were in there with him for a long time before I could see him or before anything could happen. So I had three children, three little ones around my feet. I was sitting in a chair and they were sitting uh, when I, I closed my eyes and when I opened them, they were looking right at me. Oh my. So I was like, Lord, what do I do? What do I do now? And it was a voice that spoke to me just as clear. It said, trust me, just trust me. And I think that's when I popped out of my coma. <laughs> Uh-huh. Because when I looked down in my children's face and mm-hmm. knew that whatever was going on behind those emergency room doors, now they had already transferred into ICU by this point. Whatever was going in behind that ICU doors, I could only pray and pray and ask the Lord to guide and direct and do whatever he needed to do with this situation back there. But what my immediate situation was was for those three that were looking right at me. Mm-hmm. God had uh, God had my husband. He had us too, but he had me there to shield the three children that was up there because I I couldn't I could not be uh, continue in fear. I couldn't continue in being frozen. I had to respond because I had responsibility looking at me. I couldn't mm-hmm. think about myself at that point. Mm-hmm. So we went through um, in the hospital. We were at the hospital where he worked. We stayed at the hospital day and night, day after night. And, and we lived in that hospital for the entire summer of 1997, I think it was. Mm-hmm. We stayed there. And he went, he would have so many times that he was going they surgery after surgery and from ICU down to the floor, then back up to ICU. We were at the hospital for over a year mm-hmm. in, in the hospital. You actually, and so you're saying you actually, they gave you all a room at the hospital where you all literally stayed in, in there with yeah. your husband. 
Yeah, we um, ICU was downstairs and we had a room up on the fourth floor and they let us stay there in the hospital as a courtesy, professional courtesy. Mm-hmm. And so me and my three children lived in a room that was about as big as most people's closet. It was a regular hospital room. Mm-hmm. Um, so that because he was so critical, that was the other thing too. He was very fragile mm-hmm. uh, because I would run down those stairs sometimes in the middle of the night. The children mm-hmm. would be asleep and I would go down in the middle of the night because they told me he's coded again. Oh my. Um, or, you know, we got to give him a blood transfusion. You need to sign for this, sign for that. Mm-hmm. And we went through that for a straight eight months with him not re- not able to speak, not able to do anything. Oh, my. I and, just want to interject in, in as you're speaking. I know mm-hmm. there, are, there are people that are listening right now and that have gone through similar situations and that will go through something similar because in Ecclesiastes chapter number nine, it talks mm-hmm. about how there is nothing new under the sun, mm-hmm. you yes. know. And I, I want to t- interject into the conversation as to how do we find meaning in, in this when, when fear shatters our sense of the world around us and it allows that water to get into the boat. Many people experience trauma at that time and, mm-hmm. and it's real. The trauma is so real that the survivors that experience that trauma sometimes they go through survivor guilt themselves. They think, well, why did that happen to him? Well, why am I still alive? Why am I not sick and suffering? And so trauma can produce that anxiety. It can produce guilt. It can produce unhealthy types of behaviors in the living person that survived. Now, can you tell us that you or any of your loved ones experience any of that? Um, of course, yes. I mean, yes, we did. And and I'm saying we because all of us went through that uh, from the children, myself, my um, in-laws, my family, uh, my Penny Farms family, my church family, all of us went through that, you know, because you do feel like, well, what did, I mean, and he, sometimes he's like, okay, so what did we do wrong? Mm-hmm. The devil can lead, take you into a, a spot where you think, what did I do wrong? What did he do wrong? What's going on here? Lord, we've tried to do your will. We tried to do this. We tried to do that. And look what has happened. Look what we are going through. This, this isn't real. Why is this happening to us? And this was, this was going on all the way through the family. Mm-hmm. But you have to, the other part I have to say with that. The quicker we can get people around us that are Christian people that have uh, that that are prayer warriors, as we say, people Mm -hmm. that know how to comfort you Mm -hmm. and to tell you, Mm -hmm. okay, it's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. God has it. God Mm -hmm. has it. He's already provided a way for us. And if you couldn't handle this situation, and as I said this to myself a lot late at night when I'd be in that um, that waiting room up in ICU, mm-hmm. God, he would not have put this on me because he does tell us to 
that he will put no more on us than we can bear. Mm -hmm. And apparently me, my kids, our family could handle the situation because he gave it to us. And then the thought too came to my mind too, which has over the years, I, I thought about what happens, uh, why, sometimes we ask, why me? Mm-hmm. Then other people ask, why not me? Everybody along the way of life get a turn. You have a turn in life to see what it's like for your faith to be tested, for that water situation to be in your boat, your boat capsized, mm-hmm. that days when the sun is so shining and you feel in the bright sunshine, and then you feel clouds and stuff coming over you. Mm-hmm. But guess what? Trouble don't let la- <clears throat> trouble don't last our way. Mm-hmm. God, he he fixes so that when it's time for you to move from one phase of the situation to another, you will. Mm-hmm. When it's time for you to start uh, moving in direction that he wants you to move in, you will, because mm-hmm. he's not going to leave you. But it does feel like that. And I know it does. It does. It feels like that. I, I, I had a lot of issues and a lot of problems for a long time trying to come out from under this the cloud of, of what was going on. So what I, am I hearing you say that when you said that your I said, well, that trauma could have affected not only you and your your immediate family, but you you, you enlarged that and said it affected not only you and your children, but it affected your immediate families, your siblings, your even your church family and your tight knit community. Now, when you think about that in all, who would you say were your were your support system? Uh, during that time, and even up until now. So people will know out there that there is a such thing as a support system outside of just carrying that around themselves. Right. Because, you know, I think that that um, I think that poem about footsteps, when you don't see, when you don't see anymore. Yes. Yes. Being carried. Mm-hmm. And um, I can say without any hesitation that the first prayer warrior that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that can get a prayer through when nobody else can mm-hmm. was my father, Reverend John Thomas Heyman, mm-hmm. who has since passed away. Okay. When they came back out of the unit and told me that devastating news that he may not make it the next 24 hours would be to tell but he may not make it I -hmm. called my daddy and I told him I said daddy I'm at the hospital and they told me Reg might die Mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't explain anything else to him Mm -hmm. he said okay and immediately he started praying he prayed for me over the phone and then the next thing that happened everybody in Penny Farms all of my family in Penny Farms loaded up in their cars and whatever transportation they need to get there. Everybody, I, it's just like I closed my eyes and when I opened, like, opened them again, I was looking at all of them in okay. a circle. And then my husband's family from Charleston, they all were there. Okay. When, we, when we finished, when the crop, when the, everybody 
finally got there. And my sister, I have a sister that's an opera singer. She had just been over in Europe. Her mm-hmm. husband told her that, um, you know, what had happened, all of the situation that had happened in the last 24 hours. She had just gotten off a plane. She never even went home. She was, she, she lived, she was living in Chicago at the time. She had never went home. She had him to turn her around. She got on another plane and headed straight for Charleston. Oh my. That's the kind of support system I had. His mother, his sisters, his brothers. When everybody got there, the entire waiting room was filled with people holding hands and praying at that time, praying for Reggie, for Reg, my husband, praying for strength for each other, praying for family. We had a lot of strong prayer warriors. We had people that didn't even understand about Berean Prayer War, but they loved us. Mm -hmm. They loved him. They, you know, so it was people there for different reasons, but you could feel a connection of the Holy Spirit going through that emerges that um, ICU because God was work plan. His plan was being worked. His plan was already in place and it was being worked and it was being worked through our family on both sides of the family. Um, then closer in to me and my children oh, and then even closer working with my husband. Amen. Um, once, once he went unconscious, he, he lost consciousness um, all, just about before he left home. But the last thing he told me before he, when we got to the hospital and he was totally on, he was, he was going slipping away farther away from me mm-hmm. with being conscious. He told me that he loved me. Praise God. So I want to interject one thing here mm-hmm. is that what I learned from this and what I constantly said to my sisters and brothers mm-hmm. that are all married or in relationships, mm-hmm. do not go without, uh, do not let time pass without you telling your uh, husband or wife that you love them. Don't go to bed angry. Don't use foolishness. And then sometimes that's the last words that they say to you. Sometimes that's the last thing is you telling them, oh, I hate you. I don't love you. Get out of here and all this stuff. You don't, you mean that in that moment because it's the heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. But the Lord also, the Bible always tells us, we don't know when our last time is going to be. That's we right. are just like a vapor. So mm-hmm. we don't know. A vapor don't last forever. It doesn't last but a few minutes. But we think sometimes that we got all the time in the world, but no, we don't. Right. So don't let arguments and all of this thing go by. Because guess what? If the Lord lets you keep living and living, you got to live every day. And every time you think about your loved one, do you want to think about your husband or your wife and you saying, I don't want you in my life anymore. Right. You know, and all of those things that we sometimes do say. But anyway, that, that would be terrible. I, I wanted to I wanted to also um I want to commend commend you first of all for encouraging our listening podcast audience to make sure that they are very intentional about their relationship and about making sure that you appreciate each other every day and in the moment, every day, because you never know when that might be the last day. And I just really want to point that out as a nugget tonight 
because tomorrow is not promised. The Lord gives us one day at a time. So I want our listening audience to be very mindful. Love your spouse, love your significant other, love your children dearly and appreciate them every day and let them know I love you and don't go to bed mad at one another and upset and with those types of feelings and and emotions uh, going on inside of you because if something was to occur and the Lord called the person home you would you would be stuck feeling that way for quite a long time now I did want to also uh, transition into about grief you know about letting our audience know that um, they are in charge of their own grief journey when the water is in the boat and you're grieving and the world around us, we know sometimes tells us that, you know, to get over it, you know, you've been grieving long enough. It's time for closure now. It's time to move on and all. But I want to let our listening audience know that, you know, you are in charge of how long you might grieve your loved one. You right. have to give that over to the Lord and let let others know and let yourself know that it's okay to cry. It's okay to yell. Sometimes I might laugh. My emotions might be all over the place like a roller coaster. The water might be at my feet on some days in that boat. And then some other days it might go up to my hip. And some days it might feel like it's going up over my head, but there's nothing wrong with that because God wants you to release that emotion and that pressure so you won't capsize. And so I want to ask Cousin Annette, when you were grieving or maybe still grieve sometimes, how did you deal with with that grief process? And did you allow yourself to grieve as long as you wanted to? Or were you concerned about thinking people are thinking now it's about time? It's been eight years. It's been seven years, however long. And so it's time to move on, especially even as a Christian woman. Sometimes we Christians can be, you know, not as nice. We're not doing it intentionally, but sometimes we might think, well, faith is telling us that we got strong faith and we can move on now. So why don't you talk a little bit to our audience about about that? Well, I had people giving me those. I've come to people coming to me with those same kind of comments uh, and telling me, My husband wasn't even out of the hospital. You know, he was in there for a long time. A lot of things was happening, as I said before. And I had well-intending sisters of the church telling me, well, no, you are young, beautiful Black women. You can put him, just put him in a nursing home and just, they'll take care of me. You go to visit me. You need to move on with your life. Mm. And looking at them like, really, did you just say that to me? Oh, my. And then I've had people telling me, that um, the you should you know you should be looking at getting remarried now you know all of this stuff. My husband wasn't passed away yet; he was just still in the hospital. Right, um, right. And you have all these well-meaning people with all of their things that they need to say to you. But I'm here to tell you, my husband was my soulmate. He was the man that I was supposed to marry. He was the one that I gave my heart to. So mm-hmm. guess what? It's been 20 plus years and I still grieve him. I still think about him. Now, what I have tried to do over the years is to place him a place in my heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He has a space in my heart Mm -hmm. that I know, I don't think 
So, but I know he'll never be out of that space. He has a space there, Amen. but I have not tried to place my grief on somebody else. Amen. I pray and ask the Lord every day to, when I have those days when the children have transitioned from school, the, mm -hmm. the oldest one graduating from high school, now he's in college. The next one graduating from high school, now he's um, in college. The mm -hmm. third graduating from high school. So, you know, all of the things that they're doing, and mm -hmm. I think about, and um, and then the times when we've had hiccups and, and I've had hiccups with the children. Mm -hmm. And I, I would get mad at my husband. You, you left here. You mm -hmm. left me here to handle all of this. Mm -hmm. You, you know, you got the easy way out. I, see. I had to sit there on that front seat at church. And I had to sit there at that cemetery and watch them put you in the ground. Mm -hmm. But I have to sit here and handle this, 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 and this. And I don't know what to do. And you how know? did you deal with that? When you felt that way and voiced those feelings, how mm -hmm. how did you deal with that and get over it? Uh, I will tell you this. I I had, which is my best friend. As a matter of fact, I'm going to her service. She passed away, and I'm going to her service on Saturday. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. My best friend in this world. She she um she was like 20, 30 years older than me. Very wise woman. Uh huh. But she would say to me okay, baby, we need to talk today. Because uh -huh. she knew me very well. Uh -huh. She knew when I came, because she was the director of nursing, I was her assistant. The Lord put us together. I had never seen her before in my life. I see. But when it was that time when I was really struggling with my emotions, really struggling with how I was going to keep going without yes. my husband, really uh -huh. struggling not to go places and be angry because someone's sitting there with their whole family. And mm -hmm. we used to do that. Mm -hmm. We used to plan vacations, go to church, and he would sit on this end. I would sit here and the children would be sitting between us. Mm -hmm. I would be angry. Mm -hmm. So I, the Lord sent me, and this is when I say the Lord will carry you through situations. Mm -hmm. I had never seen this woman before. She mm -hmm. was a psychiatric nurse. Mm -hmm. And I met her at one of the places that I worked mm -hmm. and we became best friends from mm -hmm. immediately. And she would talk to me and she would, cause she had tragedies that happened in her life, mm -hmm. but she would talk to me in such a soothing manner mm -hmm. in a way that if I wanted to cry, if I wanted to scream or whatever, it was okay. Amen. But it was okay. But then I felt like, okay, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for sending me Shirley. Thank you, Lord, for putting her in my life. Amen. And it still makes me sad today because she's no longer with us. Amen. She, I would call her. I never wrote her number, her phone number down. Mm -hmm. But when I needed her, I could remember that number in my head and I could just dial it. Amen. And she would say, what's wrong, baby? Oh my. And my mother had passed away by this time. Uh -huh. So I didn't have my mother to talk to, uh -huh. but I could talk to her and tell her anything that I was feeling. Look at any, God. Any problems that I had. Uh -huh. And she wouldn't tell nobody but God. She'll say, let's uh -huh. pray. Look let's pray. God. We need to talk to God about this. Uh -huh. And I gained strength through her. 
Look at God. And even when she was at her weakest time being sick mm -hmm. and she could hardly speak, yes. she would ask me, she said, well, she would, ask, she would address me the same way all the time. What's the matter, baby? And we we need to talk. And she would talk as well as she could until because she had lung cancer. Oh, so my. She would talk as much as she could. Mm -hmm. And then now to know that I can't hear her voice again. Mm -hmm. But I know she's you know, done. When you get back home, when y'all both are at home with the Lord yes. in heaven, you will meet her again. Oh, I said, that's why I know she's gone on to be with the Lord. Because she would tell us, she would tell me, she said, now, when we get through praying, we're going to talk. Mm -hmm. It'll be better. Put the Lord first. Seek first the kingdom yeah. of God. Yes, and yeah. the Lord, I want to say, put her in your life because he foreknew already oh, yeah. what, you were yeah. going, what you were going to need before you even knew what you were going to need. Right. Audience, the listening audience, God knows all about it. Even before you know what's going to happen tomorrow, he knows. That's why he says, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will take care of itself. We've got enough to take care of today. And I want to attest to God's goodness that he already prepares a place when the water is in the boat and it's starting at our ankles. He's already preparing some type of safety net where in which we will not drown from the water in the boat. However, in order to get to that safety net, we've got to allow the Lord to have his rightful place in our lives because he is a perfect gentleman and he isn't going to force himself into a relationship with us and save us from capsizing. Can you tell us a little bit about how you had to allow the Lord to take charge of the situation and lead you through that water in the boat experience? I I had to gain a stronger prayer life, first of all. And second of all, a stronger reading of the scripture. Mm -hmm. and, and third, uh, which all they all go together, is increasing my faith. Mm -hmm. Increasing my faith because the Lord did not let me down that one single time. Amen. And I had to look back every day as the sun come down mm -hmm. and another day come up. Thank you, Lord, for my husband still being here. Because you know what? Mm -hmm. I thought about too, and I thank the Lord for, he didn't take my husband in 24 hours. Mm -hmm. He lasted chronically ill for four years. He gave us four ah. years to say goodbye. Praise and that, for that I thank him for. He Praise gave us God. four years to, to know that God is true to his word. Praise he gave God. us four years to gain respect for each other as family members. Mm -hmm. And he gave us four years to say to, for me to say to my husband and my husband, and I know, I know in my spirit that we couldn't talk to each other, but we talked through the spirit that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he loved me and I loved him. Amen. And, and I know he, he loved the Lord. So I had no doubt that when um, I would leave him at night, I would hold his hand and pray and ask the Lord to bring his protection angels and put them right in that window Amen. and put their wings over him. Amen. So that he would be there in the morning because 
he know that I wasn't ready to let go. But when he knew I was ready to let go, mm-hmm. that's when he went. Yeah. And I did, I had, in, um, I wanted to say about that time, I was standing at his bedside. Mm-hmm. All three of my children uh-huh. allowed them to come in the room and have time to talk to their dad, say what they want to say. Now we, they, my children, they, they were the best children in the world through all of this. Yes. No, they, I didn't have not one bit of trouble with them. I wasn't trying to figure how to take care of a sick husband and figure how to take care of three children. I they didn't, I didn't have those kind of worries. And I'm very, very thankful for that. And to this day I am. Praise God. Um, so, but what I do want to say is that the day that he passed away, um, I was working at the facility at the hospital where he was. Mm-hmm. And the doctor came and told me, he said, the time is getting near, Miss Brooks. Um, you might want to start calling your family. Mm-hmm. Well, guess what I did? I kept right on working because I heard what he said, but <laughs> I just kept right working, working. Never. Mm-hmm. So I never went down to the room. Why did you keep why did you keep right on working? Well, I was right back. At, I felt like I was back at that point where I was when they told me you had 24 hours to live because mm-hmm. now I had to face a new situation because see all before when he was sick and he's going through this, he's going through that. And I knew that day was coming, but it's here. It's right here. So how were you feeling at that time? I I felt, that's what I'm saying. I felt a part of me. I felt just like I did when the doctors told me, I felt I was frozen. Tell me some emotions that you were feeling. When I get her fear, sadness, joy, all of that confusion, all of that, (laughs) I I felt when I, when what I did is when I finally got a chance to move, when my feet would move Mm -hmm. in the bathroom and I cried and prayed, I was, I was, I was scared first of all, because I knew my children didn't want him to die at home. So that's why I was working where I was working. So I could be near him. Yes. because they were still young and I didn't want to die at home either, but I would, I wanted to be there. But then I was, I was mostly scared in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Then I started thinking about my children, like what, are, what's going to happen with them? I was, I was just, my emotions were everywhere. I was mad, scared, everything. Roller co- you were like in a, on a roller coaster. But I, I was a roller coaster. I was going on a, a ride of emotions, oh, but my. guess what? I had to pray out loud. I couldn't pray quiet. Mm-hmm. I was in the bathroom and I had to pray, call out the Lord's name. And I couldn't think of anything to pray, couldn't think of anything to say, but I could call Jesus. Praise God. And I kept saying, Jesus, I can't. The Jesus. And then when I was able to say, Jesus, mm-hmm. please help me right now at this moment. Mm-hmm. help me at this moment I don't have strength to walk out this door mm-hmm. but you can help get me out of here you can help move me to the next step that I need to make yes so at that time the water was coming all up around your was, neck I would like right. to say it was kind of go up over your head but yeah. when you called on the name of Jesus because it there's right power back. in the name of Jesus yes. there is deliverance in the name of Jesus yes. When you called on the name of Jesus, all hell had to flee and let you be. 
And yeah. that's when the water came out of the boat, the stopper, like in the bathtub, it was, it popped right okay. out. And I want to say that the water came out and it came from around your neck and it ran on down the drain, liking it to a bathtub, the water draining out real quick. And you were able to step out into the next phase of this journey that the Lord had you on. Yeah. And, and you know what? And that that's true. That's exactly how I felt. And when we talk about peace, God would give us, Jesus, they, Jesus gives us a, a level of peace yes. that surpasses all man understanding. Oh, yes. I walked out of that bathroom and I walked into my husband's room. Mm-hmm. And I was able to mm-hmm. uh, let allow whoever want to see him, the children and everything. Yes. And then at the end, my oldest son, Reginald, was still standing there with me. And he, mm-hmm. at that time, had graduated high school by this time. Mm-hmm. And a young man looked just like his father. Mm-hmm. He, he said to me, he looked at me, and I'll think I'll never forget what he said to me. Mm-hmm. His eyes was full of tears. And he said, Mom. Have we done everything that we could do for dad? Yes. And I said, yes, Reggie, we've done everything. Mm -hmm. We have done everything that the Lord wants us to do at this point. I said, we got to let him go. Mm -hmm. We have to let him go because he has a journey he has to take. And we have one. And we have to let him go. I said, but guess what? We're going to be all right. I said, the um, the thing that we still have to do is to keep trusting the Lord. Keep trusting the Lord. Trusting the Lord with all our heart and mind and everything and lean not to our own understanding. And our next path, he'll direct. He'll get us to where we need to go, what else we need to do. Yes, he will. And that in itself leads me to asking you this, Cousin Annette, is how, how did you... When you transitioned from going to his beautiful home going and uh, saying goodbye and knowing that he's resting with the Lord, how, how did you transition into taking care of your own basic needs yourself? You had your three children, you had your excellent support system and whatnot, but at the end of the day, there was a net that needed to be cared for. How did you step back and take care of yourself and get some me time in or did you or did you feel guilty and not take care of yourself and you just continue to take care of everyone else well I just continued to take care of everyone else especially my children I didn't want them to feel I I had this thing about not I didn't want them to feel any way but just loved and kept I didn't want them to feel hurt I didn't want them to feel pain or anything so I had, when, when my husband was in the hospital, even after he passed away, I had my children in everything, everything you could think of, baseball, karate, cooking mm-hmm. classes, everything to mm-hmm. keep them busy. And I, and I kept doing this. I was still, I was on this roller coaster of helping them. And then I, I one night, it was late at night, I was sitting back, this before we left Charleston, mm-hmm. after he got out of the hospital. I was sitting on the, the back uh, patio at the house and it's a little stream back there, and I could hear the water. Mm-hmm. And they, my sons, oddly enough, they had an old canoe boat that had a hole in it. It had a hole in the bottom of the boat, and they, they all had to jump out of there one day to keep from drowning. And I started thinking about all of that, and how the Lord had taken 
us through so much. And now that the service has happened, now that we crossing that line going back, cause we took him back home. He had a service in Florida and then his final service was in Charleston, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. And when we got there, you know, we had the service a couple of, we stayed, the rest of my family came back home, but we stayed, the kids and I stayed for another day or so. Cause I wanted to see his family again. And then I had some friends in Charleston that I wanted to see before I left. And then I wanted to go back out to the cemetery. So I went back out to the cemetery um, and I talked to him for a while. I talked to Reg for a while until we were going home. Mm -hmm. We went back to Penny Farm because we made a promise to each other. Whoever passed away first Mm -hmm. will bury the other one at their home. Mm -hmm. So he left first. So I buried him in Charleston. Amen. I, I told him, we, I'm going to go back home and me and the children going to live in Penny Farm or we're going to live in Florida somewhere. Amen. And, um, but I, I still, it would be days that I was on an emotional roller coaster again. I, it just, and, but my youngest, my middle son, Jonathan, the middle child, the youngest son, mm-hmm. he was always curious of, uh, about everything. Mm-hmm. So when we came from, when we crossed the Florida line, when we hit that Florida line, he's, he looked at me while I was driving because he was offering to drive the whole time. Now, mind you, he, was, he wasn't even um, 15 years old yet. <laughs> he was offering to drive me home the whole oh time. So he said to me, okay, uh, we're back home now, mom. What do we do now? Mm-hmm. He said, because... It was like a big hole was there with us because we were used to taking care of my husband at home. I we see. took care of him. He was in the hospital for a year. Then it was another three, almost four years that we took care of him at the house oh between Charleston and Florida. So he said to me, he said, what do we do now, mom? Dad isn't here anymore. What do we do now? Mm-hmm. And it, that question just was in my mind and it, I couldn't even answer him in the beginning. Oh, my. And then I said to him, I said, well, Jonathan, I guess we have to do the same thing that we've been doing all the time. Mm-hmm. We have to trust God yes. for our next steps. Yes. We have to trust God and see where he's going to take us, what's going to happen. And I know it's not all going to be easy, yes. but this was my thing I used to say to my children. It was just us, me and the kids at this point. Mm-hmm. I said to them, what we have realized over this time is that things don't matter because they had everything you could think of. Right, they right. spoiled, rotten them to death. They yes. had everything they could think of. I had everything I wanted yes. to make sure we had everything we wanted. Stuff. But guess what? I told them, I said, things don't matter. That's right. Things don't matter. I said, but what matters now is that we stay together as a family. That's right. We stay together. We take care of each other. We right. make sure that each other is okay. And we right. still trust God for the next step That's that we right. need to take. That's right. And I hear, I hear you saying that it was very in, important that you all realize that your husband 
was now resting with the Lord and had transitioned on. And that closure came when you, when your son Reggie told you, mom, or asked you, mom, haven't we done all that we could for dad at this time? And that closure came when your son said that. And also as he drove you back at 15 years old and the closure when you all, when you said, we've got to seek the Lord for the next step, closure. People that are listening to, tonight know that you got to have closure as well. Yes, yeah. it's okay that the water in the boat might come in sometimes and wet your feet and wet your ankle a little bit. And that's okay because this is life. Until we get to heaven, we're always going to have some difficulty. There's going to be some water in that boat. But I want you to know that with the closure it's going to give you a sense of, of peace though, because the Bible tells us that God will give us a peace that will surpass our very own understanding and he will keep our hearts and our minds through Jesus Christ. Yes, he will. And I want to encourage our listening audience as my cousin is encouraging us as well, that to know that there could be an entire sea of water out around the ship. Uh, however, unless a little bit of that water gets inside of that ship, it's not going to capsize over. It's only going to turn over and go under and capsize when the water gets inside of the boat. And that's likened to the negativity of life. It's likened to allowing the pressures of life and allowing our disbelief and saying mad at the Lord, it's okay, like Annette was telling the Lord her feelings, but saying, getting mad at God and mad at the world and bitterness and all the negativity, which is likened to a rushing wave of water, letting all that water get inside of you, that's when you drown, that's when you're not able to see your way through, and that's when it becomes detrimental and it passes down dysfunction to not only you, but into your children and your grandchildren. Now, I can attest that my cousin Annette, she does have three beautiful adult children and three beautiful granddaughters that she calls her country, country granddaughter, queen princesses. And they're beautiful people and beautiful spirits because they did not allow the water that was inside of the boat to get inside of their very spirits and take their spirits all the way into the direction that the enemy would have it to go in. Yeah. So I thank and praise God for that. Yeah. And and I, I, I wanted to say too, is that I have made a promise to the Lord that I would not use my situation for, to become a bitter person because okay. his, his, his uh, ministry his work, his, uh, and helping others see what the Lord had done through my life was more important than being angry, being bitter. Because when God gives us things that we appreciate, when he brings all the good things in our life, boy, we could really tell everybody about the Lord. But what about when he takes something that you feel so near and dear to? What about when he upsets life? And like I liken to the boat thing. What about when that, that boat is filled with water? But you know, and I knew, 
even way down in my spirit when I was the angriest, I knew he wasn't going to let me drown. I knew he was going to send somebody or something or he would make something happen so that there was no drowning. And you said earlier is that when that, I felt like when I was almost like when I was choking to death Uh or or drowning, because I can't swim. I don't know what it feels like to drown, but I do know what it feels like to have asthma and can't breathe. So when I felt that my breath was being taken away from me, because sometimes the hurt would be so deep that I felt like I couldn't breathe. Oh my. But then the Lord would let me just breathe. And he kept saying, the words just trust me. And I'm telling you, when I could get up the words, just Jesus, Jesus, I need you to help me now. No long, elaborate prayer, but I need you right now. Mm-hmm. I need you right now because I need to take this next breath. Yes. Because I have three children depending on me. I need to take this next breath. Yes. You, are, you took my husband, but I know you bringing something else into my life that's going to keep glorifying you. But I need to be able to take this next breath. Yes. You know. Praise God. And he did just that. You know, scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians 12 and 9, it says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Know that the Lord's grace is sufficient. It is sufficient, especially in your weakness. It is in our weak places in life that we are our strongest. Why do you say that, Dr. Pamela? Because that is the time where we got to fall on our face and call upon the Lord and say, I give, I give, Lord, I give. I need you to take the wheel and lead and guide and direct me, and the Lord will do just that. In Hebrews chapter 4, 16, it says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, as my cousin Annette did. She confidently approached God's throne day in and day out. She went to her Lord and Savior, and when she went to him, she found mercy. She found grace in her time of need. I want you to know our podcast audience that God is a merciful God. He is a graceful God and he will be with you in your time of need, but you've got to call on him. You've got to humble yourself to the degree that you allow him to lead, guide, and direct your paths. Yes. And that, is there anything else that you would like to share with our listening audience that I didn't ask you or that you didn't have an opportunity to share? Well, I would just like to say that um, through all of the situation and all of the things that happened with from the time and, and, and when we, let me, let me back up for a second. We know that the Lord knows everything about us, even before we get here. He knew what was going to happen to my husband. He knew while I was struggling in nursing school, why I needed to be a nurse and why, because uh, my husband was from Charleston, I was from Florida, but he put us together because he knew that day was coming. Uh-huh. My husband was going to pass away. Uh-huh. He needed the story to be told to give honor and glory to him. Praise God. So we were chosen with, at this time, it was just two of us 
Then it was two, three more kids that was added. So now five people, along with the rest of the in-laws and the family and everything. But yes. God will take a situation that you think is hopeless. Yes. Take a situation yes. or a person that you think is hopeless. Yes. And if you allow him, he will change that darkness into sunshine. He yes. would take your life and turn it around. And my dad used to say, not 360 degrees. So if you do that, you turn it right back in the same direction you were in. But he'll do a 180 on you. He changed your life and turn it so that now you have a situation, you have a time that you can tell people about him. Because the reason he put us here on this earth, our main reason as Christian women and men, boys and girls, is to show others to Christ. Whatever, whatever way he wants us to do it, we are responsible to do that. And that God loves us and he can take the worst thing that you think may be the worst thing happening to you and turn it into something beautiful. And that's what he's done with my life, my children. Praise, Praise God. And that water in the boat experience that you shared with us has really been one that's profound. It is one that has really touched me deeply in my spirit to the degree that I thank and praise God that when the water gets in the boat, that I know for sure that my heavenly father will drain that water out of the boat, no matter if it comes in unexpectedly, God knows about even the unexpected things. And I thank God that you, cousin Annette, were able to realize that God purposely gave you that situation because he knew already that you were going to be able to handle it. He told us he would not give us more than what we can bear. And I thank God that you have such a beautiful spirit and you are a beautiful woman inside and out. My cousin Annette is a little bit older than me, but I've always admired her all down through the years. She's just so beautiful, so sweet, and so wise. Yes, she is. And I am so grateful that you joined us as our special guest on this podcast. I want to ask you if you would be willing to pray us out tonight. Yes, I, I wouldn't mind. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you again at the evening of this day on the 15th of November. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for me being able to say the things that I've said today for the very first time, speaking some of the things that I've held in my heart and in my spirit for long periods of time. So we thank you for your spirit and your ministry to us today, for myself and also for my cousin. We thank you for bringing us together we thank you for those who are in the listening audience that we have no idea who they are, but you know, yes, Lord. you know who is ready to commit suicide right now. Lord. You know who is ready to leave their husband or wife. You know who's gone through depression and all the things that we face. Yes, Lord. But help us, Lord, to remember that you love us, that yes, you Lord. care about us. And if it was nobody but us on earth, you would have given your life for just us. So yes, we, you asked us to just to trust you, yes, trust Lord. you, and you'll take it from there. Yes, but Lord. we must trust you. And when we can't say anything else, 
Yes, Lord. We learn how to say, to call your name and say, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. So we thank you, Lord, for that. And thank, we thank you, Jesus. For every person who's trying to live a life before others. Because yes. we are at the end of time, Lord, and we know that. And we, you need every soldier that's willing to go out there and share what we need to share in whatever means form that's necessary to make sure that we let others know about you. So yes, we Lord. thank you. Thank and you. Thank you for everything that you've given us, that you provided for us. We thank you for people that we've met, for people that we don't know, but we thank you for them as well. Yes, Lord. So at this point, Lord, we want to say thank you for what you've been to us in the past. We want to thank you for what you are to us right now. Yes, Lord. We want to thank you to what you're going to be to us in the future. Yes, Lord. Lord, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Jesus Amen. Name. Thank God. Amen. Thank God for Jesus. And I want you to be sure to like, subscribe, and share our podcast with your family, friends, and loved ones. Help us reach that 700 subscribers by the end of December. Thank you, Cousin Annette, for the beautiful testimony tonight. You're welcome. We love, we love you with the love of the Lord. We love you too. Have a blessed, sunshiny, and <laughs> prosperous evening. All right. Bye-bye for too. now. You too. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.